Thank God you don't have to hear me sing. How about another big round of applause for Burton High School Touch of Class? That's what we're talking about today. Well done, guys. I don't even understand any of that stuff, but that was impressive nonetheless. And uh, very thankful. And uh, as many of you know, I spent a lot of time. We did our State of the City up there at Burton, and we've done a lot of... Uh, different meetings up there, so I'm particularly pleased uh, on a personal level that uh, we kicked this thing off today uh, with one of my favorite high schools in San Francisco, Burton High. So let me thank you again. We, um, we're here to celebrate the qualities of imagination that define the youth of our city. And I'm reminded of Bobby Kennedy who once said, what the world needs are the qualities of youth, not a time of life but a state of mind, a quality of imagination. And I say that to those of you young, of course, and old, a, not a time of life, but a quality of imagination, the qualities of youth we are celebrating here today. And I hope as we reflect on where we are and where we're going uh, and where we reflect on where we've been, uh, that we are reminded that there's so much good and so much right as it relates to the state of our children, youth, and families in San Francisco. And I think that's important to underscore because the oldest adage in the world is that we're nothing um, but a mirror of our consistent thoughts. And if we are consistently focusing on what's wrong, we will, by definition, manifest it. And you think about your own lives, it's what we focus on that we manifest. And so today, I hope we can focus on what is right with our children, youth, and family. And that's why we're going to kick it off by acknowledging here with Margaret Brodkin, the head of the Department of Children, Youth, and Family, four extraordinary leaders that define that principle, that define our collective cause to improve the quality of life for all of our families in San Francisco. And I'd like to ask, uh, as I read these names that Margaret pick up as she is, the award that uh, is, may I say, Margaret, one of the better looking awards that this city has ever put together. Um, and, uh, and let me just read briefly a little bit of bio of the four folks that uh, we're going to recognize today as our heroes. It's a nice way to kick off the morning. Uh, first is Mimi Bowie. Big round of applause. Mimi's family over in the corner. A bilingual outreach coordinator for Portola Family Connections is the face of our agency and Chinese-speaking families in Portola neighborhood through passionate outreach and programs like the Cantonese-speaking uh, grandparent support group. She's worked tirelessly to ease the difficult transition of Chinese immigrant families. This is why she is known as Portola as the mayor, I guess we have more than one, of San Bruno. Congratulations, Mimi. Thank you. All right. A peer supervisor for an organization that many of you are familiar with called Chalk. At 17, and by the time he was 20, he was a senior outreach coordinator at Chalk, supervising and supporting over 50 youth and touching many more. And in only four years, this individual 
has distinguished himself as one of the most well-known and respected youth coordinators in the city and county of San Francisco, connecting young people, resources, and opportunity that have changed their lives. A big round of applause to Marquise Gray. You got the floor. All right, Marquise. Congratulations, buddy. Somebody's in my office every week as well. Man. Juma Ventures. You guys recognize this man? Larry McClendon began at Juma Ventures at the old age of 15. He was a vendor in their ballpark concessions enterprise. And by the time he was 19 years old, he was the operations manager, managing and training over 100 youth each and every year. His drive to give back has led him to launch a youth entrepreneurship program. Uh, and uh, in that context, he's sharing his well-honed business management and entrepreneurial skills with over 20 youth in one of the most impressive districts in our city, the southeast sector, and that's Bayview Hunters Point, helping kids reach their full potential. Larry, congratulations and thank you for all your hard work. All right, one more hero to kick off today. Mary Jean Ramsey, come on up here. 25-year career at MIEP, 25, a quarter, quarter of a century. Man, one place. I like preach. Amen. Her warmth, her sensitivity, her fan club has been instrumental in guiding Tel High's integration of Asian and African-American youth. She never stops working for her youth, reaching out to kids on the street or on the bus lending guidance whenever and wherever she is needed. It is no surprise that youth return often to visit her as they transition to adulthood. Congratulations, Mary. Thank you very much for your leadership. All right. Our four heroes of today's summit. Big round of applause to all four of them and everything they represent. Standing ovation. Congratulations, guys. I uh, know. And you just think it was that nice award that may collect dust on someone's shelf that they got, but they also got $2,500 each for their organization. So congratulations to them and congratulations to their organization. God bless you. Uh, thank you, Margaret. Uh, just let me, before I kick off, how about Margaret Brodkin for all her great work at DCYF? I got to say, it is so nice to get her off the steps of City Hall, no longer protesting everything down there. Now she's part of the problem. Thank you, Margaret, for coming on inside and doing such a good job for all of us. And I got to tell you, I remember when I said, when I first became mayor, I said, I got an idea, and that's to get uh, this new department head. And they said, who is it? And I said, Margaret Brockett. Everybody around there said, are you crazy? 
Uh, and uh, I can tell you, there hasn't been a day, and I mean this with sincerity, that I've regretted it. She has exceeded all expectations, and she is a national leader in children, youth, and family issues, and we're proud of her. So thank you, Margaret. Thank you. Of course, she did something that, in hindsight, I, I kind of regret. Uh, she decided it was high time that San Francisco address one of the more vexing and challenging issues that it had faced for over 45 years. I think you all are intimately familiar with some of these stats, but I think it's important to underscore that in 1960 in San Francisco, our city had 181,000 children. That's about 24, in fact, it was precisely 24.5% of our population, about a quarter of our population, which incidentally is about consistent with a national average of about 26%. But all of you have known what has happened in the last four and a half decades. Today, we lay claim to just 14.5% of our population, being 18 and younger, representing just 112,000 youth. What has happened in the last 45 years, and what can we do about what has been well described as family flight? Well, in an effort to determine exactly what had happened, rather than lamenting it, we decided to do something about it. With Margaret's leadership, we convened and created a mayor's council on children, youth, and family, and we tasked them to determine more than just what the trend was, but what laid behind or what lies behind that trend and determine exactly why it is that families were leaving the city. And we put together the first official report that the city had ever put together identifying the root causes of this family flight. And it's interesting because we did a lot of work and we realized once that job was done that there were really no surprises. Housing, education, cost of living generally, safety, feeling of insecurity in certain neighborhoods, and just generic quality of life. But it's those first two things that, from our perspective, are the most challenging. Quality, public education, and the extraordinarily high cost of housing as being the two principal barriers to keeping children, youth, and family in San Francisco. So we not only put a report together, we only, not only marked that official recognition, but since 2004, when the report came out, we have committed to doing something about it. And I want to say, as I walk through some of these numbers, that we're making progress. It may be for some in the margin, for others, though, that have benefited from these investments, it has fundamentally changed their lives. And I'm proud of that, not only as mayor, but as a guy who lives in this city that experienced that family flight rather directly when living at 71 Toledo Way and taking the 30 Stockton every day downtown near Chinatown where I went to school, we had a decision of which high school I was going to go into. And unlike my mother, there was no chance I was going to get into Lowell High School. And I don't know how anyone gets into Lowell nowadays. And so the decision was made to go to a school that my mother wasn't particularly eager for me to go to. I was going to take a long time. She was working two jobs, and I was going to take a bus, but I had to transfer, and she was concerned about that. And we were paying a lot of rent with my sister. 
in a one-bedroom apartment, and we started to fight a little bit. We actually cut out a big closet, true story, and that was because she was my younger sister. We put her in that little closet, <laughs> and she wasn't happy about that, uh, and she was acting out uh, appropriately. Uh, and uh, it occurred to, to us, it occurred to my mother at the time, that uh, we had a different option where she can still work in San Francisco and take Golden Gate Transit into the city, and we found a house in Corte Madera, $64,000 on Baltimore Way. We ended up paying less in mortgage than we were paying in rent. And I had a basketball court, and I walked to Redwood High School, which was an outstanding high school in Larkspur. And that example is the example literally of tens of thousands of families in this city that struggle to make sense of the high cost of housing and the ability to have choice as it relates to the public high schools that they want to go to when they cannot afford the privilege of a private education. This is what we fundamentally need to address, and this is what the Department of Children, Youth, and Family under Margaret's leadership is fundamentally focused on. Here's what we've done. Just this last year, the city put in, and this is remarkable when you consider that we faced a $102 million budget deficit, that we invested an additional $44 million in the current fiscal year in children's services. $44 million increase in programming for children. DCYF alone invests $65 million, and that's just one small slice of the overall funding for children and youth services. We invested, as part of that commitment, into expanding our wellness centers into the public schools, now with 11 wellness centers, not just to deal with adolescent physical health needs, but adolescent mental health needs. We invested in our universal preschool goals, which ultimately will advance an initiative that so many of you in this room have helped define and design that will provide universal preschool for every child in San Francisco by the end of 2009. We invested in after-school programs in historic ways by investing in over 1,500 new after-school slots, enriched 1,320 new slots so that we have more comprehensive, more holistic, uh, more culturally competent services as it relates to our existing after-school plans. And as you know, we have the rather audacious plan of having universal after-school for all our elementary and middle school students also by the end of 2009. We did something that I don't know that any city in the United States has done as well as we've done or even initiated partially. And that is this city fully funded our efforts to make sure that we are no longer just complaining and idealizing the importance of what we just experienced as it relates to artistic expression and music and dance and theater. This city funded comprehensive arts education, every child, every classroom, K through 12. You did it. The Department of Children, Youth and Family through Prop H and other means advanced that initiative. And you should be very, very proud of that. All those things have two things in common. They focus on building communities, building family structure, and also supporting our public education system. And that's important. And it's important because our public schools are getting short shrift. 
because they're not getting the attention that they deserve. They're not getting the attention that they have warranted nationally here, ironically, locally. I don't know what it is, but you never read a thing about what we did on April 12th of this year. When every member of the school board showed up at City Hall to sign an historic partnership, a partnership for achievement with Gwen Chen, our superintendent, to codify our historic relationship and to develop a memorandum of understanding to partner, not to take over the school district, to partner with the school district for the first time in our city's history. And I'm proud of that because what it does is it lays the foundation for the future. It recognizes all the things we've done to support public education along the lines that I just referenced, well beyond the $20 million that we invested pursuant to Prop H in a way that I think provides an example for the rest of the nation. But you didn't read about that because it wasn't, for whatever reason, important as much as any controversy that tends to dominate the local media. And the reason I am frustrated by that is you probably don't know, though this is a smart audience, that we've had five years in a row of improved test scores where the number one performing urban school district in the entire state of California, and we were a finalist for the Broad Awards last year. And that's something you should be proud of. And that's something Gwen Chen should be proud of. That's something Hyder Mendoza and other members of the school board should be proud of. Is it good enough? Not even close. Is the bar for urban school districts in America low? Absolutely. Can we do more? Can we do better? Of course we can. And we're committed to doing that in this Partnership for Achievement. We believe will strengthen those ties and advance more than the minimum required money that Prop H provides and to provide real resources with every single department and city government participating and supporting quality public education in every single neighborhood and every single school. And incidentally, I don't know if you know this, but we invested over $40 million in our public schools last year. And we're going to double that in the next few years, over $80 million. And I'm not just talking about those three core areas in terms of music and arts and after school and preschool. I'm talking about how the Department of Environment can build partnerships to advance edible schoolyards. I'm talking about how Recreation and Parks Department can build upon our RecConnect strategy that Margaret has advanced and really share facilities in a more meaningful way and how the library can get more involved day to day in helping educate our children. Every single department in city government, not just the obvious, Department of Public Health and Muni and Police and Fire, but every department from Animal Welfare and Control, the Department on the Status of Women, will have a role to play at the same time recognizing their independent stature as not the policymakers for public schools, but as partners for public schools. And again, I believe this is an example that other cities will follow as we move away from who's controlling to what we're actually doing to improve public education. We also are doing, as I related to the twin challenges, more as it relates to housing. Now, this is a huge problem for everybody. You can't, police officers can't afford to live here. Firefighters can't afford to live here. I mean, I don't know how any teachers can afford to live here or representatives of various nonprofits 
I get it. Heck, the mayor has a hard time affording the ability to live here, and I, I don't wildly exaggerate. The fact is, we need to do more as it relates to affordable housing, and I mean affordable to middle income, not just low and very low income, as critical as that is. And that's why this year we have invested over $30 million in new money for family-friendly housing. 1,700 family-friendly housing units are now in the pipeline to be developed in our city. And that's just the beginning because my new budget, the preliminary budget, the one that I will be submitting shortly to the Board of Supervisors, includes over $43 million for new money for family-friendly housing. Now, that's good, but it's not good enough. We have got to do more. But understand that there's a new discipline and a new narrative with the Redevelopment Agency and the Mayor's Office of Housing to really focus on how we can develop housing that is family-friendly. And that's not just providing units. It's not just the brick and mortars. It's about how you can integrate child care facilities. It's how you can integrate open space, the child care advocates here, into developing uh, a much more comprehensive approach to supporting families and supporting communities. But the most important thing we are doing for housing for our families is an area that has represented a national abandonment and a disgrace that is arguably second to none, and that's the state of our housing projects in this country. HUD has gotten out of the housing business. Now, that's the housing and, housing and urban development department is getting out of the housing business. The current administration has eviscerated the HOPE 6 program, which, by the way, is exampled successfully by the redevelopment of Valencia Gardens, an example of that program and its success. And a consequence of that and the efforts to block grant Section 8 housing vouchers and to block grant CDBG grants as they've tried in years past and all of these other cuts, it's remarkable, these cuts, when we find all the resources in the world for these follies overseas in Iraq and elsewhere that we can't invest in our own cities, but we can invest in rebuilding others, that, that represent 20% of the family housing in San Francisco. I don't know if you know this. 20% of the family housing in San Francisco is in these housing authority sites. And they have abandoned them. These things were built around World War II, and they were supposed to be torn down a decade later. Now you've got five or six kids living in the same apartment up at West Point and Middle Point, up in Huntersview or Oakdale or down there at Alice Griffin, Old Double Rock or Sunnydale, that are using the same restroom that has no ventilation. And you've got mold and mildew not being, not, no 409 spray is going to get rid of that mold and mildew on that shower curtain because it's behind the floorboards and it's behind the sheetrock. And you wonder why these kids are wheezing and sneezing and asthma rates are eight times greater than my zip code down at 94123 in the Marina District and they can't get educated. So this is serious stuff because you're not going to prove public education until you have kids that are healthy. And it's all interconnected. And so what we're doing is no longer complaining about it. We're going to finally do something about it. 
And that is we're going to do something that no other city in this country has ever had the audacity to do. And that is locally redevelop all of these aging housing authority projects. And we're going to start this summer in that initiative. We call it a local, local Hope 6 plan. And, and I, I'm so committed to this. Let me assure you, I don't think there's anything more important, more noble and more substantive than integrating these communities that have been segregated for a half century and focusing on the underlying causes of poverty, crime and violence and giving people hope and dignity and giving people the respect that they deserve and that they have earned without the federal government and the state support. This city is going to step up and step in where others have abandoned them. Let me assure you that we are going to make progress on this initiative. What city in America provides universal health insurance? Zero to 24? None. Your city does. How proud we are. We are a model to the rest of the nation. Now, we did that three years ago when we expanded from 0 to 18 to 19 to 24-year-olds. Why 19 to 24-year-olds? Because 44% of 19 to 24-year-olds have no health insurance. Highest percentage of our kids. And for those advocates to focus on the needs of transitional youth, you are intimately familiar with those statistics. And for those that are focusing on the needs of emancipated foster youth, you intimately appreciate the benefits of that program. But that's not good enough because you got a lot of the parents of these kids that don't have the ability to go down to a clinic and be able to afford the cost of that. I hear, I heard a family, I couldn't believe this, Someone that didn't want to go, that had a serious medical condition and lived across the street from a fire department, but refused to go where they could have gotten medical care because the last time they went, it almost bankrupted them because they got a big bill. So they didn't even go and they ended up ultimately in a much more acute condition down at the emergency room. I find it fascinating in this country, by the way, that people are so outraged to see two men kissing or holding hands on the steps of City Hall, and they're morally outraged, but they don't have that same kind of intensity and moral outrage because a family can't bring their kids into a medical clinic because they can't afford health insurance. Where are the values in that? Think about that. Talk about moral values. Talk about family values. So this city is going to do something about it and stop talking about it. And we will become the first city in U.S. history to provide universal health care to every single citizen that currently doesn't have it. And we're going to start this July. And you should be proud of that. That is family friendly, let me assure you. That is a big deal. Now, I know my time is, is limited. I can go on and we could talk about the 200 slots for child care that we advance. We could talk about our efforts on homeless families and dealing with some of the challenges there. I could talk ad nauseum about the 17% reduction in our foster uh, care system in terms of total caseloads and how we've reduced by 28% the number of African Americans, cut in half the number of people that have, that have had recidivism as it relates to abuse in our foster care system. I could talk about our ReconNect strategies. I could talk about all the good work on Family Appreciation Day and 30,000 people that took advantage of that recently in the family resource fairs, all these great things. We could talk about 
our libraries and the four new libraries that have opened up, a one brand new one uh, just nearby, Mission Bay and the old Excelsior Library, that's the new Excelsior Library, and the old West Portal Library is the new West Portal Library, and the old Sunset Library is the new Sunset Library, and the eight more that are in the works, the 14 playgrounds and rec centers we're going to reopen this year. We can focus on all those good things, and they're great, and they're all important. But nothing is more important than what you're going to hear from Jeffrey Canada today and what he's done successfully at the Harlan's Children's Zone and how we're trying to replicate that model through our Communities of Opportunity model here in San Francisco. We have to connect the dots. This city, as I've stated, invests as much or more than any other city on a children, youth, and families programs. We were the first city, you know this, in 1991 to do a set-aside for children's services. The first city in the nation. What city has baseline funding not only for children, but for libraries? What city in the nation has universal health care, 0 to 24, already? What city has all of these amenities that allowed 30,000 people to take advantage, not just of MoMA and the Exploratorium and the African Diaspora Museum, but all of these other wonderful places, from the Japanese Tea Garden to the Young to the new and old Academy of Sciences to all these wonderful family-friendly places, San Francisco. But we have got to address the disparities that exist in our Latino community, in the African-American community. And those are the things that Jeffrey is doing that we can do here in San Francisco. I don't want to belabor communities of opportunity, but it hasn't gotten the attention it deserves. And I hope you'll listen to him because you will be hearing what we are trying to do in our city in a very meaningful way and how we're delivering how we're delivering in four areas of our city and how we'll be delivering in every community in our city as we roll out that program in a much more substantive and meaningful way. I'm proud of the work we've done. I'm proud of the extraordinary work you have done to hold us accountable to delivering on our rhetoric and delivering on our promises. I think we're turning the corner. And I think we get it, that the clearest mirror of our performance undoubtedly is seen in the eyes of our children. And that when we design programs, we shouldn't just require that those programs that touch youth go to the Youth Commission, but that every program in this city go through a process where we look through the eyes of our children and our families, like we did recently, when we asked that the work that's being done for our transit effectiveness program to completely reinvent Muni reached out to children, youth, and families and realized that we don't do much to provide for the ability for a child to walk on to a bus with a mother and have a place to put that stroller, but we do for a bicycle. Well, what about that stroller? And what about the fact that families need to have some potential preferential treatment in terms of where they sit. And what about how Muni is really servicing our neighborhood schools? And how about redesigning those routes to and from schools in a more effective and effective, efficient way? And so it's a discipline, it's a discipline that we are now undertaking. And it transcends all of our programming and all of the proposals that are coming out of City Hall. And I think they will really manifest 
in ways that are going to make a difference in people's lives. Two final points. I want to thank the folks that inspired the Working Families Tax Credit. Do you know last year 11,500 families took credit of the only tax credit of its kind in the United States of America, that Working Families Tax Credit, to allow working families to keep more of what they're earning. Millions of dollars, not only in local money, but tens of millions of dollars drawn down through the federal earned income tax credit. I am so proud of our controller, so proud of our treasurer, so proud of our assessor, now working on a bank on San Francisco initiative to focus on asset building and no cost checking accounts and savings accounts. I'm so proud that through the Working Families Tax Credit, we're matching savings in those free checking accounts through doubling their assets through individual development accounts. I'm so proud that this city has the chance to become the first city in U.S. history to deal substantively with the digital divide to address the fact that 200,000 families in this city don't have access to a computer at home or free Wi-Fi or broadband access, that this city has the ability to become the first city in U.S. history to do free Wi-Fi and then to provide the computers and the training, but most importantly, and I'll conclude, to provide in a very strategic way information about benefits that can turn people's lives around. And let me just briefly focus on one that you saw when you walked in. We believe that with free Wi-Fi that we can develop a strategy that will certainly create a new energy across this country to address the needs of children, youth, and family by providing relevant information on home pages for free or low-cost computers that could take advantage of no-cost Internet access that give people the tools to know if they're eligible for any of the programs that I just mentioned. I am dumbfounded by how few people know about the grants they can get for their children that are unaware still that we have a health care insurance for 19 to 24-year-olds and that they're eligible to draw down those dollars or know about all these free programs from immunization programs or know that they can get food stamps or, or can get uh, information about GEDs and can help support their family structure. What the Wi-Fi represents is the enabling opportunity to get those benefit calculators as we refer to them on the home pages, these family benefit packages on the home pages of every computer screen in San Francisco and aggregate all that data as we've done for this new website that we're launching officially today called sfkids.org, the first city-sponsored website of its kind in the United States of America. Please take a look at it. You twin that with our 311 call center, which you also didn't read about, where you can get a human being answering the phone seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day, available in 140 languages. And you twin that, you now have the tools with Wi-Fi given the opportunity to finally deliver on that, and I hope this city doesn't blow it, to make sure all these programs go right into people's homes into their living rooms so that we can distinguish all of the work that you have done 
all the guidance you have given and the inspiration that you have provided for this summit here today. I conclude by ending as I began with a big thank you to all of the hard work that DCYF put in to this, to thank all of our partners in the community that every day are working hard to distinguish not only themselves, but distinguish this city. I'm proud to be a San Franciscan. I'm proud to be its mayor. And I am proud to say that the state of children, youth, and family is better and the best is yet to come. Thank you all very much and have a great afternoon. And just when you thought you were done with me, bring on that next speaker you were thinking. We're going to ask that a number of department heads come right up to the podium, get on up there, led by your interim superintendent of school, Gwen Chen, by that library director, by old Bill Zifferman, the new director of juvenile probation. And I could have bored you with all the good things we're doing there, but I thought I'd save him. Uh, to do that and focus on violent prevent, violence prevention and summer job programs, which we're going to be talking about, uh, and a number of other department heads that are making their way to the podium. And I thought I'd take this time to ask you to ask them some pointed questions. And not just ask them for money, because, my God, this audience knows how to ask for money. There are 38 million reasons Margaret and I are talking about moving to Los Angeles. And that's the gap between the $20 million in grants that we have and the $58 million you've requested for new programming. And that means we're going to have a lot of enemies this year. Uh, but we're going to try to do our best to accommodate. So without getting into the funding thing as specifically, you've got Trent Rohr up there, Department of Human Services, or HSA now, and you've got, I think, Matt Franklin up there, can talk about ha housing. Uh, you got Gwen, you got Louise up there, uh, and you got Bill Zifferman. So you got a, a good group of folks, and then you got Margaret Brockton. And so this is an opportunity for you just to ask that question that you have been dying to ask for months, or to get an answer for someone you may have called and then never returned that phone call. Uh, and to get it answered in front of a thousand plus people so that you leverage that request. Is there anyone in a room of 2,000 with any questions of any of these department heads? And it should, I'm going to start in the back because these are the more shy people or the late people. Uh, and, and they need, a, they, they need the opportunity to ask some questions. Because all the folks that are eager are in the front, and they're usually always in the front of rooms. Please state your name, your organization, and your question. Uh, I'm Jennifer Cano. I represent Community Educational Services. And my question is, what is the city's plan for implementing the Branch Library Improvement Program? The Branch Library Improvement Program. We mentioned those four libraries, Luis, that you have completed recently. You're working on eight more that are in the implementation phase. But I'm told you have a gap in funding. So how are you going to fulfill the promise we made a number of years ago when we passed that $106 million bond? 
Well, thank you, first of all, for the question. And, and yes, we're very, very proud of the fact that we're going to ensure that we complete all 17 branch renovations, including five additional libraries. And we do have a, a gap of about $40 million, and we're looking at uh, renewing the set-aside so we make sure that we have additional uh, stable funding for the library system. And as part of that renewal, we're also looking at some revenue bond opportunity to raise the money to be able to get the money to complete all the projects. The other piece of good news is that we're also looking at a full vision for these libraries. We're looking at a new Ortega branch, uh, an expanded, larger Bayview library. Um, and all these libraries are part of our commitment also to youth services because they do have dedicated spaces for teens. Uh, they have more computer access. The issues that the mayor mentioned about how important it is to serve youth is very much part of our partnership with the school district and making sure that the libraries play a role in that commitment. So thank you for the question. And we are committed to finishing all our branch libraries in the city. And these, as Louise said, are not your great-grandmother's libraries. These are community centers, community hubs. And I want to congratulate Louise on his wisdom of extending the library hours this year in the budget, which is a big deal uh, for our communities. Denise Smith has our next question. Um, my name is Denise Smith, and I work for Home Detention for the Mission Neighborhood Centers. And my question is, what is your plan for the 18 and 24-year-olds, and can we establish a separate court system? All right, Bill Zifferman, 18 and 24-year-olds. We got this great transitional youth task force for 16 to 24-year-olds. This question's a little more specific, 18 to 24-year-olds. I know that's not necessarily your bailiwick, uh, but I think you're well-positioned to answer the question. I, I, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Thank you for the question. Uh, that is a great question because it, it, it addresses a, a population of uh, our citizens here in San Francisco that are, are between systems. And the whole issue of transition is a very, very important issue that we are uh, having a lot of conversations with, not only within our department, but with the adult probation department. And the arrival of uh, Jeannie Woodford to lead the adult probation department has a great sense and a great vision for exposing the, the, the young 18 to 24-year-olds to some specialized programs that uh, will essentially be extensions of, of the services that are provided to the uh, older youth in our juvenile justice system. So we have that on our radar screen, and we're very excited about advancing those conversations into extending the real services that the adult probation department really needs. And Trent Rohr, you talk a little bit more. You're doing a lot of good work on foster care. We're finally addressing that serious issue as it relates to transitional youth. Uh, and perhaps Margaret can illuminate a little bit more about that transitional youth task force, its recommendations, a 30-member task force, and how we're going to codify those recommendations through implementation. appreciate the question. Over the next three or four years, San Francisco will be emancipating more foster youth from the system than we have ever in our history. To address this, we're really focused on trying to meet the housing, educational, and health care needs of this population. We're, we're trying to ensure that every youth who emancipates from our system at age 18 receives their health benefits up to age 22. We have now 80 units of transitional housing 
for emancipating youth, which is the biggest uh, allocation of housing for this population in the state. Uh, and we also are expanding our scholarship program, uh, hopefully with some help from Mark Leno up in Sacramento, the Guardian Scholars Program, uh, to provide cash assistance for kids who want to go on to higher education, either two or four-year institutions. So we're really developing you know, quite a system for this population of uh, four or 500 kids over the next number of years. And this will dovetail nicely with the um, Transitional Youth Task Force that just completed its set of recommendations. I think Margaret can touch on a little bit. Margaret, you want to answer just that Transitional Youth Task Force, they, 30 yeah. members, 10 youth, uh, the recommendations are in hand. What are we going to do with them? And is the task force going to continue its work? Well, the task force, we want to become a permanent entity in city government. And um, as many people in this room know, um, uh, 30 people have come t together for over a year, 10 young people themselves, and have a set, have really identified just how, uh, how difficult it is for so many of our young people to make that transition to adulthood. And we're going to have a permanent entity in city government to try to bring together all the things that so many different departments uh, uh, need to be involved in. So I'm very excited about that. I'm particularly excited that it's uh, transitional age youth who have really led the way to our recommendations about housing, health care, about a one-stop that, that will be really friendly to transitional age youth. And I'm really excited that we're going to have a, a permanent voice for that age group that we've never had before in city government. We've got a question back here. I'm Sierra Wade from Golden Gate Community, and I'm interested in knowing on the topic of transitional age youth, how does a 19 to 24 year old go about accessing um, health insurance benefits? Because aside from emergency services and some of the free care that they can get at like Larkin Street, this is a major problem facing young people in the transitional age group. That's Anyone really want to tackle good. that? I mean, unfortunately, our um, health department director isn't here. But I'll step in for her, Margaret. Yeah, would you? You can dial 311. This is how easy it is. I just ask you two numbers, 911 for emergencies, 311 for everything else. Have them switch you directly to information about how you can apply for benefits or get someone you know to get the benefit of the 19- to 24-year-old health insurance. Uh, it's something we're very proud of. For folks earning up to 300% of federal poverty, it's being fully implemented over the next few years and as we implement our efforts, 24 to 64-year-olds. But 311, guys, it is so much easier than it ever was. You're going to get a human being to answer the phone at City Hall. I mean, that's in and of itself worthy of some applause, right? Thank you. All right. <laughs> Sir. Um, Shimon Walton, Patrell Hill Family Resource Center. And my question, and to definitely stay away from what the mayor was talking about in terms of funding, but what are you planning to do to uh, implement services and provide more capacity to these isolated communities, in particular like Patrell Hill, in terms of family support? Great question. Um, I, I, Margaret, you want to talk, because you're doing these new conveners in the neighborhoods, you're right. working with COO and some other interesting right. things. And, you know, I'm the first to admit that uh, we had a huge number of grant proposals to DCYF and family support, many, many more than we can fund. It's absolutely essential that we work collaboratively with First Five and HSA to really um, 
uh, strategically use our funding and expand the funding. We've also invented something at DCYF that a lot of people in the room know about. We are funding 20 different neighborhoods to have conveners so that uh, there will be a person in that neighborhood whose job it will be to coordinate the children, youth, and family services in that neighborhood in both the public and private sector and see that we all work together better uh, on behalf of the families. So we're excited to be rolling that out, and many people in the room will be involved in that. So um, we have... We have uh, created through um, funding through DCYF and HSA and First Five the Family Support Network, which uh, is housed in our office, which has become a, a, a very effective advocacy group for family support services. So I'm hoping over the coming years the, family, the city will be uh, increasing its support of family support services. We got a question back here. Judy Young. Morning. I'm Judy. I'm with the Vietnamese Youth Development Center. We're located in the Tenderloin. Um, there's been a big surge of violence on the streets of San Francisco, and um, particularly with our young people. How is the city addressing that issue? Very good. I, you know, as much or more, that's probably for me, and or would be for. But you know, in many respects, it shouldn't be, right? I mean, if you're going to get serious about crime and violence, uh, I keep saying this, but an armed camp is not a place of peace. It's not the police department exclusively that's going to solve the issues of crime and violence. Some would argue quite the contrary. It is the investment into alternatives, after-school programs, enriched education, enriched child care programs, early childhood learning, summer jobs. Bill Zipperman, you did something last year I don't know many cities have done. We provided jobs to people that were on probation. And we saw, I don't know if you know this, this is a big number. We saw through this initiative a 75% reduction in recidivism by targeting our summer jobs and jobs for youth programs at people that were coming out of probation or coming, that were going out on probation out of juvenile hall. Bill, you want to pick up on that and what we're doing, you're doing, as it relates to the issues of youth violence in San Francisco? Thank you, thank you Mr. Mayor. Thank you for the question. Uh, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that occupying a youth's time with a meaningful learning experience, a learning experience that is aided and developed by a job placement, has a profound impact on reducing the likelihood of involvement with the juvenile justice system beyond that experience. And we were very, very grateful to receive the support of all of the city uh, service families in providing these opportunities. These opportunities that allowed 75% of the youth that participated in this to stay focused and not become involved in any of the activities that would have returned them to the juvenile justice system, most, most frequently in episodes of violence. And with respect to violence, violence, in, in my opinion, and the opinion of, of others is that this is learned behavior, learned behavior that can be abated and addressed through meaningful programs at all stages of our lives, at all areas of youth involvement, either in the family, in school, in the juvenile justice system, and that we maintain the, the concept that many of the youth that are in our juvenile justice system 
have been victims of violence or exposed to violence in one way or another. So if we just keep our eyes on that, recognize that occupying youth and providing youth with opportunities for meaningful use of their time to learn, that that then eliminates the opportunities for participation in violence. We have to keep that on our agenda in all of the arenas that we deal with young people. We've got a question from Giselle in the back. Hi. I have um, two different areas, education and um, the uh, youth guidance, um, well, criminal system, um, YGC. Um, recently, my son was assaulted, and um, I had a started off as a terrible experience with the juvenile system because it made it seem more so he was a criminal instead of the victim, um, the defendants that had attacked him. Um, there's no place for victims to um, wait to be called in court that um, is suitable for them and where they feel safe and secure with conversations pertaining to um, going to court. And um, also, it seems like there's, there's a lot of resources for those that get in trouble, which it should be, don't get me wrong, but there's not very, very, very little support for victims. And my child decided to speak up and stand his ground. But then you second guess yourself, why, when you don't have the um, support? And then my other question is to um, Ms. Um, to Gwen Chen. What are you going to do to continue to support small school policies? Secondary school redesign, small schools. Uh, let's before, and Gwen had to sneak out. She had to catch an airplane, but we have a very good substitute in her stead. But, Bill, you want to pick up on the first part of that question? Yes. Uh, I I, I recognize that, that our involvement with youth that enter the juvenile justice system must include, must include our understanding and the perspectives of the victims. And in a restorative justice model, which we are attempting to uh, re-energize our department around, it incorporates the, the perspective and, and the harm that has caused the victim. Now, I, I know that the YGC, the Youth Guidance Center, where our offices and the courts are, it, it's, it's a building that has many, many challenges, and there aren't very many spaces of welcoming in that center. I do know, however, that the district attorney's office has advocates assigned to their office for victim services and to provide that. And, and we, in the probation department, work very closely with with those individuals because, of course, our mission is to restore youth to the community and to the victim and to offer our help in uh, providing some reparation. So uh, I will take that, uh, that your, your perspective and incorporate that into our vision, and we need to do a better job about uh, making sure that the victims feel part of this system. Small schools. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I'm Trish Bascom, and I'm associate superintendent um, in charge of student support services. And uh, Superintendent Quint Chan did have to go catch up. Trish, get closer to that mic so we can hear you back here. Right on the mic. Okay. 
Um, Superintendent Chan wanted me to thank the mayor, um, department heads, and community-based organizations for all of the programs and services you bring to the schools that allow us to do our work. Related to the small schools, um, there is, there has been a proposal, a resolution that went through the Board of Education. We're in the process of finalizing the request for proposal that will be out in the next couple of weeks so that schools can apply to be a small school by design. But the reality is we're not just looking at a few. We're looking at a concept that re-engages youth in the educational process and specifically engaged youth with caring relationships and high expectations. So while a school may not be formally a small school by design, we anticipate many of the strategies and practices to be included into our schools in the coming years. We've got another question in the back of the room. Hi, good morning. My name is Chagua Camacho, and I represent Project Commotion. Uh, Project Commotion works with children uh, with disabilities and children trau uh, that experience trauma with movement. And my, qu my question is, um, how are you, uh, how low-income parents of children with disabilities are integrated and supported in your services plan? Um, I mean by integrated and supported is uh, we actually give them education to low-income parents to understand the situation they are living on and then plus also the support, economically support to provide that services. You got it, Trish and Margaret, um, Trent we, Rohr. We, we are acutely aware of our obligation as a city to support uh, the families and young people who have special health care needs and who have disabilities. Um, and as you may know, uh, we are funding the support for families of children with disabilities to convene the whole community of people concerned about this to train all of our providers in how to better integrate these children um, into our mainstream uh, programs. We also provide um, a significant number of services for families, including the, a major family support center for um, uh, families of children with disabilities. Um, we hope to do more. That's why we have um, invested in this multi-year planning and training process. I hope everybody in this room um, benefits from that kind of training because so often um, you actually are serving young people who have special health care needs and you may not even realize it. And not only that, they may be entitled to benefits and services that they may not realize uh, they are so we're trying to turn that around um, it's not something we're going to be able to do overnight but we are working very hard on it and I would encourage everyone in this room to participate in the trainings um, that that we are uh, that we are conducting we um, have one more question out here because we're hitting right against that 1030 time you got all these other panels all these other great speakers and you're going to see a lot more of the folks that are up on the stage throughout the day uh, Barbara, make this a great, inspire us with the final question. I'll do my best. I'm Barbara, and I'm Barbara from San Francisco Safe, and I want to know if the city has a plan for truancy. And will we start it now? What is the plan for truancy? What is happening with truancy? Margaret, you and I spent a lot of time on this issue working with Trish and Board of Education and 
our community partners, and we've made some progress, uh, which we're very proud of, but it's not good enough. Why don't you, why don't you give us a briefing on it's, our truancy it's, effort? It's not good enough, but we now have many more schools that have um, very targeted truancy programs. Some of them have just gotten started this year, so you haven't seen the benefits of them yet. We've just funded a, a, a network of new services so that there are people in the school who actually um, touch the families and homes of the young people who are truant from school. We're also realizing that we have to start in elementary school. So this year we will now be targeting new services to elementary school um, because that's actually when truancy uh, starts. Um, our truancy numbers have, have gone down um, nowhere near as much as we want them to, but we see in the schools where we have good reentry programs, where we have good outreach programs, that's where, the, that's where um, we can turn around truancy. So it's a matter of being able to spread that to um, more and more schools, and that's what we're committed to doing. And as you might have noticed from the DCYF um, uh, RFP, we're committed to putting some more resources into that, too. Anybody want, else want to pick up on that final question? Yeah, I, I'd like to. Um, Trish. The school district clearly is very concerned about the truancy and is also very grateful to the city, uh, both to the mayor and to the district attorney, Kamala Harris, for addressing truancy and bringing it into the limelight so that we can begin to address it. As Margaret said, we are looking at elementary school because that's where the pattern becomes established. So we have care teams in elementary school. What we've uh, directed all staff is that it's not one person's responsibility for attendance or to combat truancy. It's everyone's. So we would anticipate more outreach to parents, more referrals to um, services that may remediate problems that are causing the truancy in the first place. But once again, let me go back to expectations, high expectations of children, engaged children in academic pursuits with caring relationships. Those three things are the reasons children come to school, stay to school, and succeed. So that's really what we're looking at providing within the next coming years. All right, Trish, thank you. Big round of applause for the entire panel. Thank you all very much for coming out. Have a great afternoon. We appreciate the overwhelming attendance and the good questions. Thank you. Let's have a round of applause for the mayor who uh, gave a terrific speech and got this program started. I want to make uh, just a few announcements to make your day um, uh, uh, go smoothly. The, the, the next step is everybody goes to their workshops. The rooms are actually in your program. We have all kinds of DCYF staff and volunteers around to usher you to, uh, downstairs to where the workshops will take place. This conference is dedicated to you. It's dedicated to your being inspired and informed and having an opportunity to to do something that is very exciting that you don't have an opportunity to do very often. We want it to be more than just one day. I would love it if everybody took the posters and we saw posters uh, of quotes of young people all over the city and every CBO. And I want everybody to take responsibility at their workshop because in every workshop is a, a 
a, a poster that says, what's the big idea from your workshop? So we're hoping we'll spend the last five minutes of every workshop saying, what was the big idea that people got? And then we'll be posting those uh, all over uh, the anteroom at the end of the day for the reception. Um, I hope you enjoy Moscone Center. I hope you stay all day. Um, and I'll see you again at lunch. Thank you. <laughs>